Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to um, John chapter 13. And let's uh, continue our study of what's called uh, a section which is called the Paschal Discourse of Jesus Christ. We're in chapter 13. I'll begin reading at verse 5 and read through verse 17. You follow as I read uh, that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired. It's the very mind of God. It's uh, black words on a white page. They read like this. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you were clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. (laughs) The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, oh, that endures forever. Hey, guys, two quick little pieces of information that I think will help us as we try to understand this portion of God's word. Um, the, The first little tidbit, has to do with timing, this timing of this whole foot-washing thing that's going on here. It's mentioned in verse 2 of chapter 13, we're told that, uh, and supper being ended, that is, so this foot-washing thing uh, came after supper. Consequently, we know that it's not about hygiene, it's not about etiquette, it's not about hospitality, because if that had been the case, then the foot-washing would have been before supper. So right away, we realize that what's going on here is, uh, is about more than just etiquette or hygiene, okay? The other little tidbit, uh, which is a, kind of a big part of the backstory here, is not given to us by John. It's given to us by Luke uh, in Luke chapter 22, because Luke is describing this, this, these same hours that, that John is talking about. And Luke tells us in Luke twenty two twenty four, he tells us that the main topic of conversation that night amongst the 12, the main topic of conversation was, <laughs> who's the greatest? Who among us is the greatest? They've been with Jesus for three years. They'd watched him teach. They'd watched him live. They'd watched him heal the sick. They raised the dead, you know. <laughs> 
come to the end of his life, and what are they talking about? Who's going to get the corner office in the new in the new setup that Jesus, you know, when he brings it in? That's what I'm interested in. But instead of scolding them, instead of berating them, he gives them a an object lesson. And oh, ladies and gentlemen, it is a very dramatic one. Um, over at the side of the room, there's a table. And on that table is a pitcher, a basin, and a towel. Uh, everybody in the room knows what that's there for. But they're too busy discussing their own prestige to even wash their own feet, much less anybody else's. So Jesus, in the midst of their discussing who is the greatest, basically disrobes and commences this whole foot-washing thing. And by his so doing, he sucks all the air out of the room. <laughs> um, guys, the, um, the silence in the room is, is palpable. This is high drama. Um, you know, I love, I love drama. But um, oh, to have been a fly on the wall this night. Right as they're discussing who is the greatest, Jesus goes over to the side of the room, takes off his clothes, girds himself with a towel, and, and, and begins to wash their feet. And in, uh, inevitably, everybody shuts up. Nobody says a word until Jesus gets to Peter. And, and Peter, of course, who is known for his uh, foot-in-mouth disease, he says to Jesus what is tantamount to saying, Stop it, Lord. Um, it, it's real interesting. The Greek, the Greek is interesting because it's just such a, a blurt, a burst of words. It says, the, the Greek is, Lord, you, my feet. As he pulls his feet back in. And then in verse 8, Peter digs his hole just a little bit deeper. Uh, when he essentially issues a command to Jesus, he says in verse 8, You will never wash my feet. And ladies and gentlemen, with that piece of stupidity on the part of, spe- uh, on the part of Peter, Jesus gives us a gospel lesson of crucial importance. On the heels of Peter saying something as stupid as what he said in verse 8, the first half of it, Jesus then says something in the second half of verse 8 that is of... It's huge, folks. Um, Call it verse 8b. But Jesus says in response to Peter's ignorance, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Gang, when, when Jesus replies like that, we begin to see that there is a deeper, there's another level, there's another layer 
uh, a deeper layer, a more profound layer uh, that is unfolding in this whole episode of foot washing. Gang, it's not about dirty feet. It's not about body parts. Um, if you'll notice in verse 8b, he doesn't say anything about Peter's feet. He simply says, if I do not wash you, um, he is not by any stretch tying Peter's salvation to the washing of his feet. But oh, my friends, he is most definitely tying his salvation to another washing A washing apart from which none of us will ever even know how dirty we are in the first place. There's another washing, ladies and gentlemen, and apart from it, you and I will never realize how much we need a Savior if we don't have that washing. Can I show it to you? It's mentioned several times in the New Testament, but I would suggest to you that the The easiest one, the most understandable one, is found in the book of Titus. Now, guys, if you got your Bibles open, you need to find Titus. I'll help you. Uh, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. So, if you can get back to that section of the of the New Testament, it's towards the back. It's really after Second Timothy. It's Titus. I want you to see it. Um, One of the richest theological statements anywhere in the New Testament, uh, written by Paul to Titus. He says this in verse 5. This is Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Do you see it? Here's what he says. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Here it is. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it, guys? It is in this great washing work of the Holy Spirit, which is also called regeneration or rebirth or born again, whatever language you like. It is in that great event being described right here, That is when God removes my heart of stone and replaces it with the heart of flesh. It's in this event right here where the spiritually dead man begins to live. And and notice, nobody washes himself. But guys, the point is, the washing that Jesus has in mind in John chapter 13, verse 8, B, is that one. It's that one being described in Titus 3, 5. Now, gang, just for clarity's sake, just a uh, hopefully helpful comments, let me, kind, let me try to paraphrase what Jesus is saying to Peter in verse 8. Um, and I, I want to underscore, I'm paraphrasing. Okay? 
This is, this is in essence what Peter is, uh, Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, um, what I do to your feet, I am about to do in a far greater and bigger way for your soul. My substitutionary death will become the grounds on which the Father will send the Holy Spirit to perform this great washing work, not just of your feet, but all of you. Washing your feet is peanuts compared to what I'm about to do on the cross. So Peter... Either I serve you on the cross or you will everlastingly die. To refuse what I'm offering you, Peter, is rebellion. At that point, ladies and gentlemen, Peter gets it, or at least kind of, sort of, most of it he gets. And he says, oh, this is verse 9. Oh, oh, okay. I, I, I understand that. Oh, okay, then, um, then, then, then this is not about my feet. This is, not about, this is about submission. This is about yielding to you. And oh, Lord, I gladly do so. I willingly and joyfully submit to you. In fact, how about washing all of me? You know, everything. Just do it all, you know. And that, ladies, that, that's in verse 9, by the way. That's another stupid statement on the part of Peter. And Jesus says in verse 10, wait a minute, Peter, slow down. Um, because, Peter, you're wrong again. You see, Peter, there's one washing, this regeneration thing. There's just one of those. Um, it happens only once. Uh, it's permanent. You don't have to repeat it. And there's one of those, Peter. But there's numerous, many cleansings. Even the washed need constant cleansings. Hourly, daily. Those cleansings are a way of life for the washed. Gang, that's what Martin Luther had in mind when he nailed those 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg. And number one said, repentance is a way of life for the believer. Guys, that's what Jesus has in view here in verse 10. Did you, did you notice the subtlety of the text in verse 10? Did you notice it? Look, Jesus is speaking. He says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Do you see a distinction there? There's two English words. There's two Greek words. The English words will vary in your translation, but there's two Greek words here. And he says, if you've bathed, then you only need to wash your feet. Do, do you see that, guys? Bathed versus washed. If you've taken a bath... If you've washed all over, you're clean. But living in this fallen place, where you are opposed by the world, the flesh, and the devil, oh, your feet are going to get dirty. 
And you're going to need to, you're going to need to wash up quite often, quite frequently. Um, one washing, many cleansings. Have you ever been bathed? If you have, then you're eager to wash up. If you've, if you've been given that new heart in regeneration, you hate it. You hate it when it gets dirty. So you, um, you wash up, which is called repentance. You see, ladies and gentlemen, that's the dialogue that's going on here. Um, it, interestingly, at least for me, I, I think when we read this passage, we all get so bogged down in this next section of it. Because it has to do with that feet watching thing, and you know, I don't understand that, and this is the practical part that I don't get, and <laughs> what are we supposed to be doing here? And there's all this discussion about the foot washing thing. There's a sense in which at verse 12, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus returns to the, to the main road of the text. At least what we used to think is the main road. I'm not so sure it's the main road anymore. I, I'm not so sure that the main road is not what I've already told you. But we come to this, this 12 through 17 part. And this is the part that gets all of the press. This is the part that gets all of the print and all of the discussion and all of the debate and yada, yada, yada. And gang, with all of its intricacies and all of its um, debatable stuff, I think you can summarize it very simply. And I, I think you'll agree. Gang, what Jesus is doing here in this last little section, verses 12 through 17, he is simply giving an exhortation against knowing without doing. Guys, I think we're so concerned that we're going to have to wash somebody else's feet or that this foot washing thing is the, the mark of the really powerfully, genuinely spiritual people, that you miss what's being said. He says it in verse 17. Look at it, guys. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That's all this is about. Guys, the, the, the New Testament speaks frequently about this dangerous possibility of, of knowing a whole lot. Having a lot of information. Being intellectually superior. Uh, knowing a lot cognitively. Without ever turning that information into a changed life. Guys, without the doing, without that doing part, 
then you don't know nothing. You've been informed without being transformed. Guys, the, the, um, the issue is not about how much you know. The issue is how much you know that has changed your life into conformity to look like Jesus' life. And if it hasn't done that, you don't know nothing. You know, guys, there's all kinds of ways to illustrate that from the New Testament. I, you know, um, um, there's, there's several stories um, about how you just illustrate that principle in verse 17. You, you know the story in Matthew chapter 7? You know the story, uh, building your house on the rock, building your house on the sand. I, I know you know that story. I mean, you've heard it a little bit. You know, I don't know exactly what but, you know, Jesus says, well, let, me, let me tell you what the guy is like who builds his house on the rock. You know, the guy that builds his house correctly. The guy that builds his house, you know, permanently. You know, the guy that's the, that's the smart guy. This is what he says, ladies and gentlemen. With all of that wonderful imagery and all of that parabolic information, it simply says, the, 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 the guy who builds his house on the rock is the guy who hears my word... And does it? Is that hard? Is that, I mean, is it hard to understand? It's certainly not hard to understand. I guess my favorite one, my favorite place where this principle is, is in Luke 8. It's, a, it's almost funny. Um, Jesus has just been teaching this great parable of the sower. You know, the crowds are gathered and the multitudes are listening and, you know, they're trying to scrutinize what Jesus has to say. And, and um, um, he's... You know the parable of the sower, the four soils. Anyway, he's just taught that thing. And somebody comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus. Hey, your mother and your brother are here. They're, they're right over there. And, they, and they'd like to talk to you. Jesus looks at him and says, my mother and my brother. You want to know who my mother and my brothers are? It's those, it's those people who... Hear the word of God and, guess what, do it. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been going to school much of my life. I have degrees that I can't even remember the title of them. But I don't need any of those degrees to understand that. You want to know, just says Jesus, who my mother and my brother are? Brothers are? <laughs> you want to know? Well, I'll tell you, says Jesus. There are a bunch of people who hear the word of God and do it. Lots of mothers and lots of brothers in here. You know, Jesus had a half-brother. His name was James. James wrote a book. His book's included in your Bibles. It's called the book of James. And Jesus' half-brother, um, he, he, didn't, he didn't come to know Jesus Christ until after the resurrection. Um, but James put it like this, very simply, you know, succinctly. 
He says this, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, comma, who delude themselves. Gang, that's what this section of John 13 is about. That's what it's all about. That's, I mean, I, I'm pretty confident in that because that's what it says in verse 17. He says these things and he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see, guys, if I'm washed, then there are things to which I can point in my life that are there in my life as the outcome of knowing and heeding the words that Jesus spoke. Jesus doesn't care how much we know. Do we, you and I, do we have anything that's a part of our lives that is there, that is, it's there in our lives simply because we love this Jesus and this Jesus told us he wanted it in our lives? Gang, I, I realize what a what a threatening question that is. But people who love this Jesus, they want to be like him. Now, there's one other little something I want to say about the text, and I've saved this for last because I think it's it's just such a piece of comfort. I skipped verse 7, if you, did, if you noticed, I skipped verse 7, but I want to come back to it as we close. Because in verse 7, there is, there's something in verse 7 um, that I think you need to know, that we need to know about the Jesus that we love. Here's what we need to know. First of all, let me, let me read it. Let me read verse 7. Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now but you'll know after this. You ever said that? No, 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 not said it. Have you ever heard it? Have you ever thought it? Because ladies and gentlemen, here's what we need to know about this Jesus, or at least one of the things that we need to know about him. Jesus baffles even those who love him. In this particular instance, um, Jesus is doing something. And Peter says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't get this. Stop it, stop it. And, and Jesus was getting him and said, Peter, listen, listen, listen to me, Peter. I know you don't understand what I'm doing. You'll get it later. For now, you just need to trust me. Okay, that's not the first time Jesus said something like this. He said it to John the Baptist. Do you remember that? Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is about to be baptized. He comes to John the Baptist to be baptized, and John the Baptist says, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. I, 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 I mean, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus looks at him and says, John, John, 
John, just permit it to be so. I know you don't get it, John. But you'll get it later. He says almost the same thing, very similar thing, to his parents, Mary and Joseph. Remember that story? Luke chapter 2, Jesus is 12 years old. They visited Jerusalem, I think at Passover. They leave and go back to Nazareth. They're on the way back to Nazareth, and they realize the day out, oh, where's Jesus? Where's our 12-year-old boy? He's gone. We can't find him. We thought he was with the neighbors. He's not with the neighbors. Where's Jesus? They look around, can't find him. They go back to Jerusalem. Takes them three days. They're frantic. They come to the temple, and there he is, debating with the scribes. And Mary... I love this. Mary, in chapter 2, verse 48 of Luke, Mary comes up to him and says, why have you done this to us? I mean, why have you treated us like this? You know, we love you. But dadgummit, we don't understand you. Guys, the point is, Jesus does things. He allows things. In all of our lives, that we simply do not understand. At least now. John 13, 7 tells us that what time does not clarify, eternity will. What baffles us now won't later. So sooner or later, and probably later, We'll get it. But for now, just permit it to be so. You know, I told you about this young woman. Um, I, I, I told you about her on Easter Sunday morning. You may remember this young woman who came to see me. And she came to see me in like February. And, and um, her mother had died in the fall. She was very close to her mother, adored her mother, was with her every day, her best friend, she called her. And um, she had died what we would call prematurely. She had died somewhat tragically, a strange disease, and, and it was just awful. She and her husband came to my office, and she sat in two little chairs right in front of my desk, or she, her husband sat in one of them. But um, she kind of leaned forward in her chair and and with her little eyes dancing with fire, she said to me, Dr. Young, Jesus better be who he said he is. Because I'm banking my entire eternity on him. Yes, we are, ladies and gentlemen. 
we are banking our entire eternity on him without fully understanding him. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus baffles even those of us who love him. Let me tell you in closing something I do know about him, something I do understand about him, something I do know about him. We have a Savior who knows far better than any of us do just how dirty we are. And he dies for us anyway. He doesn't point out my dirt. He washes it. He, um, he cleanses me by taking my dirt and giving me his cleanness. Here's how Paul said it in the book of 2 Corinthians. He said, He who knew no sin became sin. He who wasn't dirty got dirty. He who had never sinned paid the price for a bunch of sinners. You ever been washed by him? Our Father, I I thank you once again for your word that is uh, such a reminder to us of things that are that we know and love and appreciate and and um, and hold on to fast. And we pray, O God, that you will um, use this portion to remind us of the urgency of of living out the truth of what we say we know, but that you would also remind us that it is in regeneration where we're given a new heart and we're, um, we're set on a new course and we're, we're um, spiritually raised from the dead and now we're set free to go serve you and serve you with, with a whole heart. Father, if you brought people here today who have not yet not yet seen their great need of the Savior, would you open their eyes, grant, them, grant to them what you have granted to so many others in this room, give them the eyes to see and ears to hear. And might we all walk out of here knowing that though there'll be some need of washing up this afternoon for an eternity, we're clean. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.